Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We have bulletins in the back. If you haven't got one, very beautiful bulletin. Good job, Dane. Appreciate it so much. Jesus is so precious. We saw the word precious, 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 invaluable, incomparable, indescribable. That's what Jesus is. My, we had a good time this morning, and you take a bulletin with you. If you're out there viewing, uh, you can get a digital bulletin by tapping on the right spot. So I trust that you will. Please take care of that. And uh, tonight, we want to be in the Word of God. So everybody, take your Bible, please. Take your Bible. Hold it up. And if you believe it, say with me, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. There are no mistakes in it. There are no mistakes in it. And God helping me, and God helping me, I'm going to try to obey it. I'm going to try to obey it. Amen. What a joy and a privilege to have the very words of God. The words of God. Jesus quoting His Bible, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, addressing the devil in the temptation in the wilderness said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every what? Every word. Every word. We've got every word here. I believe in verbal plenary inspiration. That means the very words and all the words. And I believe in preservation. I believe God who is capable of giving us His words and His guidance and direction in our life is also capable of keeping those words. Amen. What kind, of, what kind of Bible would you have if you couldn't trust it? I can trust my Bible. You can trust your Bible. The King James Bible is the inspired and preserved Word of God for the English-speaking world, and I'm glad we've got it tonight. Amen. It's with confidence. Now, if I didn't believe that, why, well, I'd go out and get myself a real job, you know, because I wouldn't be a, a phony then. I'd be honest about it. But I believe, I believe, you know this, you know, <laughs> Look, I believe this old book. I believe it. Every word of it, it's all inspired and preserved. We had our Christian school in California. Actually, my wife and I were involved in Christian education for 31 years directly. And uh, we had homeschool, we had Christian school, and uh, we helped to start Christian schools across America. I believe in this kind of godly education, education that begins in the soul, not just uh, preparing the mind, preparing the heart, preparing the life, a life to be lived, not just, not just a living, but prepare a person for a life. I believe that's so very important. It is the high and holy privilege and responsibility of every parent and guardian to see to it that children are raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Some way or other, we've got to get the Word of God into them. If we don't, Disraeli said it right. Disraeli, who was Prime Minister of England under Queen Victoria, said, education without God makes wise devils. And how true that is. Education without God makes wise devils. And so don't chafe at it, kids, when in your homeschool or your Christian school or as your school education is supplemented by your parents, you've got to memorize verses. It's a privilege. You get to memorize. You get to hide God's words in your heart. God, God brought this word from outer space, brought it down. His word is forever settled in heaven, and he brought it down to earth. And instead of, and I tell the kids, and they giggle when I say this, God didn't give us his, his word by dropping them out of heaven. We'd all have concussions. There'd be fatalities. But instead, by the miracle 
of inspiration, God breathed and moved upon the hearts of holy men of old who spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And they wrote down the very words of God. Even, even more remarkable is that in eternity past, God planned all of this and He prepared a Moses to write the inspired words of God that were already written in heaven, <clears throat> but it sounds like Moses, and a Paul to write those 13, perhaps 14 books of the New Testament, if you count uh, Hebrews. And, uh, and he wrote it, he wrote it moved by inspiration, moved by the Holy Ghost. What was written in heaven, he wrote down, but it sounded like Paul. Now, isn't that amazing? Isn't that a miracle? Isn't that wonderful? And every bit of it, I don't care if it's Paul, or if it's Peter, or if it's David, or if it's Solomon, it, it's exactly what I need. It hits the spot. Hits the spot. You ever had a hot, dry, thirsty day and you stop in someplace for some cool, maybe, maybe you like a certain kind of a cool uh, drink of, of uh, maybe, uh, oh, I don't know. How many of you like cream soda? How many of you like, how many of you like uh, Verner's? All right, now Verner, Verner, Verner's is from Michigan. Michigan, yes. Uh, among some of the finer imports from Michigan, yes, okay. All right. It's a soda, yes, yes. Even if you're from North Carolina and you're drinking cheer wine, there's no alcohol in it. You know, it's just a, it's a red thing, right? North Carolina, is that where they, they make that stuff? Okay, all right. And something cools you off, and that's just, and what do you say? <clears throat> that hit the spot. It hit the spot. Well, I got something that hits the spot every time. Right here. Amen. Amen. All right. We're in the book of Proverbs because this is where we find Solomon as a young man who has asked God for an understanding heart, is moved by the Holy Ghost to write down the Proverbs of Solomon. And we have the instruction of a father to a son. And so we have that conversation going back and forth in the fourth chapter. Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding, for I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. Wow, that's a, that's a powerful beginning. A powerful beginning. And then we have the relationship, for I was my father's son, tender, only beloved, in the sight of my mother. Just had a chance to see my 103 plus year old mother. And she still loves her baby boy. And uh, we had a wonderful time talking together. And today I called her up and I said, we have five professions of faith this morning. And she was so thrilled, she started crying on the phone. And uh, she cries a lot these days, but something like that's worth tears of joy. And uh, I thank God, I thank God. Whenever, whenever my mom and I would talk in years gone by, she'd say, now, how'd you do? How'd Sunday school go? How'd church go? Uh, you have some professions, you have some folks get saved. She was checking up on her baby boy, making sure that we were doing the work of the Lord. And, uh, you know, she, she was checking up on her eternal investment. That's it. Because she believed that God gave me to her and my dad and that, that uh, they had a stewardship to raise me for the glory of God. And I haven't always done right. And I'm far from what I ought to be. But thank God that God can use anybody. Amen. Just, just volunteer. Just say, here am I, Lord. Send me. I promise you, He'll wear you out for His glory. And uh, when you get all done, you won't say, my life was dissipated. 
Uh, Billy Sunday used to say, a person who just lives for himself, lives for himself, lives for the world, lives for the devil all their life, and then tries to get saved at the last hour. Now some do, but tries to get saved at the last hour. He says, that's like burning the candle at both ends and blowing out the smoke in God's face. Boy, isn't it good when a young person gets saved, they get saved young, and they get baptized, and they get headed the right direction, and God whispers to the heart at camp, or maybe in youth group, or maybe in the preaching service, and says, I want you to serve me with your life. Boy, there's nothing better than that. I tell you what, they, they, get, they get all excited around the throne when, uh, when God's people get lined up with God's purposes. When Jesus was asked to teach his disciples to pray. He said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you have any idea what God's will is in heaven? We ought to line up with it on earth. We ought to be running parallel to the perfect will of God. We ought to discover the perfect will of God. Thank God for every mom and dad who's doing right. I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. How many places do we find in the Word of God a promise of long life or enhanced life attached to obedience, adherence to the Word of God? It's just that. Just discover what God is saying in His Word and then, then do it. Guess what? You get some bonus time. That's good. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. The emphasis is on what? The words. The words. We pass along the words in the Bible to our kids, the words. Now, we don't just put it in our own words. We might explain it. And we say, now, here's what the Bible says. And when you're memorizing it, King James. When you're going over the principles, King James. Use the inspired and preserved words of God. Now, you can step aside and say, now, now in other words, if I were going to say this in the 21st century, I would say this and this and this. But here's what the Scripture says. And make sure they know that's where the power is. That's where the authority is. Amen. And so get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline. Don't back off of the words of, of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. In other words, there is some keeping power in the Word of God being in and working out of our life so that we're living a wise Christ-honoring life. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Wisdom is seeing the world through God's eyes. That's good. That's good. Amen. I'll say it again. Wisdom is seeing the world through God's eyes. Understanding is stepping out. After we understanding, applying it, getting out there and doing understanding. You know how you prove you got wisdom? By understanding. You live it out. There it is. So get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. So you want to get close and comfortable and, and cozy with wisdom. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver thee. I remember our kids quoting this, quoting this. We would go through the Proverbs in our Christian school every three years. We'd get through it. And then we'd go through them again. And we'd go through them again. So in the cycles of going through them, our kids would get this several different times. Now we're picking up at verse number 10 where it says, Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be what? Many. So we listen to what God is saying through those that have been entrusted to raising us in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and being trained up in the way we should go, and when we are old will not depart from it. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. Now think about this. 
We're going to see from this point on, verse 10, in fact, down a ways and then jumping all the way to the end. Look at the last two verses. Ponder the path of thy feet. Let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand or to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. We see this right living pictured as staying on the path. Anybody ever heard of the gauntlet? Anybody ever have to run down the gauntlet? This was something actually did in uh, the early settling of America. Understand the gauntlet goes back to something over in Europe, but also I believe it was done among Native Americans. You had to run the gauntlet to prove your manhood or to prove your worthiness. And so here you have two lines of warriors, or in Europe perhaps two lines of knights or of fighters. And you have to run down the middle, and they are trying to do everything they can to knock you down and knock you out and keep you from going through there. Anybody have, have to ever do something like that? Raise your hands. All right, you know what I, yeah, okay, you know what I'm talking about. A lot of fun, isn't it? You say, let's do that again. Go ahead, hit me a couple more times. Knock me down a few times. They're trying to get you off the path. Well, this world is no friend to grace. Even though this world will masquerade as your friend, young people, this world is trying to do one thing and only one thing, and that is to get you as messed up as they are. Get you off the path. Misery loves company. On the way to hell, they want to get some company. They want to take you with them. They want to destroy your life at the very least. And so some of those who have given their heart and life to Jesus Christ may be tempted to get off the path. They're going to try to get you off the path. There will be temptation to try to get you off the path. There will be friendships, relationships to try to get you off the path. Those relationships that are not lined up with God. There'll be, there'll be uh, all kinds of persecution to try to get you. Why should I go on? Why nobody appreciates me. I, nobody else is standing. You get that Elijah syndrome. I'm the only one left. And, and of course, there were 7,000 that hadn't yet bowed the knee to Baal. I'm telling you tonight, there are all kinds of devices and tricks and traps and methods whereby the devil is trying to mess up your life. And the best way to end up right is don't let them get you off the path. Stay on the path. When thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened, verse 12, or narrowed. And when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. What are we supposed to do? Take fast hold of instruction. That's the word of God. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. Enter not into the path of the wicked. Here you go. You don't want to go that way. Not on the broad way. You want to stay on the narrow way. And go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. Don't even get around where you can be tempted to go that way. How many times have you or your kids, somebody messed up and you said, well, the, it, I mean, the temptation was so strong. The people, you know, that were, were so convincing. And so I went along with the crowd. I went along with what others wanted me to do. They sleep not except they have done mischief and their sleep is taken away unless they cause some, some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path, here's the contrast, the path of the just is as the shining light. We read this in the New Testament. That shineth more and more into the perfect day. As we stay on the path and are faithful to those principles and right teachings, the words that we've been given by godly parents and guides that are helping us along the way. It gets brighter and brighter. It gets clearer and clearer. It gets better and better. You will be glad you stayed on the path. 
You'll be glad you didn't let them get you off the path. You're going to be so glad in the end. Now, the devil is going to say, oh, you missed out, man. You're never, you're never going to know what that feels like, tastes like, or what, what that experience is like. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Those, kinds, those are the kinds of things that cause people to go on to hell without Jesus Christ and cause people who claim to be saved to mess up. And you can talk to them, can't you, Brother Ed? You can talk to them down in the jail. How many times have we talked to somebody and they say, I'm here because I got off the path. I was raised in a godly home. Mama read the Bible. Dad prayed and, and, and they took us to church. But I got off the path because I, I, just, I, just, had to, I just had to go with the crowd. I am not one who preaches uh, Elvis into heaven or into hell, either one. That's between Elvis and God. I don't know where Elvis is right now. You know, there are all kinds of things said and written about Elvis. But the truth is, Elvis was raised in a gospel-preaching home and a gospel-preaching church. And as a little, little boy, he was exposed to it. One time... Dr. Jack Hiles got on an elevator in Dallas, Texas, and when the doors opened, there was Elvis and his entourage. And they were going up the same direction. And Jack Hiles, who was one of the great soul winners of the 20th century, said, man, it's now or never. Okay? <laughs> I don't mean to play on one of Elvis's titles, but it's now or never. It's now or never. So he said, Elvis, I'm, I'm Dr. Jack Hiles, and I want to ask you a question. Elvis, do you know for sure if you died right now that you go to heaven? That's what you call getting to it. You know for sure if you died right now, you go to heaven. He paused a second and he said, well, yes, sir, I do. Yes, sir, I do. And Jack Hiles stepped back and said, how do you know that? He says, when I was a little boy. I walked down the aisle of the, of the Assembly of God Church there in Tupelo, Mississippi. And I received Jesus Christ as my Savior and I'm going to heaven. That's what he said. And I don't know if he got saved truly then or if he got saved any of the other times that people witnessed to him. I don't have any idea. But before they got off the elevator, before the doors opened, Jack Howell said to him, that, Elvis, why all this? Why all this glitter and glitz and glamour and worldliness and sin all around you? And he kind of hung his head and he said, well, sir, he says it's this way. I just wanted to see what was on the other side. Just wanted to see what was on the other side. He admitted to that. He confessed to that. Just wanted to see what was on the other side. 42 years of age. On his face, dead in his bathroom. 20 different kinds of illegal substances inside his body. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Be sure your sin will find you out. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that, that, that shall he also reap. Enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. For they sleep not except they have done mischief. And their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just, so much better, so much better, is as the shining light. Elvis, are you listening to me? The path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more under the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. So we come to the next, my son, in verse 20. Attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine, what? Heart. For they are life unto those that find them and health 
to all their flesh. Now I want you to read verse 23 from the King James Bible with me. Proverbs 4, 23. Ready? Begin. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Father, fill me now with the Holy Spirit. I pray that the message that we have to bring tonight will be helpful for young and old alike. I thank you, Lord, for the many things that we could have gotten into that you kept us out of. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the opportunity to avoid the path of the wicked and to stay on that path that gets brighter and brighter and brighter, the path of the just. Help us now, Lord, to keep our heart with all diligence. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. We sang nothing between my soul and the Savior. Not, nothing of this world's delusive dream. Now, C.A. Tindley wrote this, and I don't know that I would have said it that way, but it is so spot on, right, exact, and precise. This world's delusive dream promises, promises that they can't deliver on. Things that glitter and things that are glamorous and things that look and seem so good but are so deceptive and so destructive. That's what I'm talking about tonight. Now you say, preacher, you're just one of those grumpy old men that uh, you know, doesn't want anybody to have any fun. No, I'm telling you, it's not fun. You say, preacher, how do you know that it's not fun? Have you tried all those things? No, I have not. But I tell you what, in my 50 years of ministry, I've, I've encountered a lot of people who are on their way dragging back from a horrible experience with those things. I've passed them on the road. I've talked to them on the way. I've counseled them. And many with their heads hanging low, they say, I wish I'd never gone that route. I wish I'd never done that. I wish I'd never experimented. I wish I'd never done that. I've told you about Clay, who we led to Christ. Why, he was a heroin addict for 31 years. People don't normally live that long. He got to the point where he had to inject between his toes. There was no other place he could put a needle. And he was miserable, miserable. We led him to Jesus Christ. And, and he's the one that gave me his works. He said, here, I don't need this anymore. And so I took his work. I took his spent heroin needle with me in the car. And halfway home, I thought, good night. If I get pulled over on a routine traffic offense, can you imagine what the headlines are going to say about this preacher? I got to tell you, God saved that man. He went out and got himself a suit. And the next Sunday, I couldn't figure out why. Uh, we, we had a, a young adult Sunday school class, and we'd fill up that place with 40 or 50 young adults and couples, and, and they weren't coming in. The reason was he was standing out by the door like this. He still looked like the enforcer that he was, standing out there. Five-time felon, Clay, got saved. He got so born again. He said, I just want to talk to the kids. I want to talk to the kids. What do you want to tell them, Clay? I want to tell them that one puff on a marijuana cigarette can get you started on a 31-year binge on heroin. He said, oh, not me. Won't happen to me. Ask Clay, five-time felon. I'm telling you tonight, young people and people that aren't so young, that there is a path that gets brighter and brighter if you stay on it for the Lord Jesus Christ. You let God lead in your life. You let him give you the grace to go forward for His glory. You don't get off that path no matter what. 
not even to experiment, not even to taste of this world, not even to, to go with somebody who does, and you say, well, I'm not going to do it. They might take a drink, or they might take a drag, but I'm not going to do it. Don't even go with them. Don't even be near them. You say, well, what about their soul? What about their soul? After you have prayed it through, after you have told a number of accountable people, after you've got one or two with you, why, you can witness to them, but you cannot socialize with those who are going to drag you down into the dregs of sin. God doesn't want us. He never intended for us to use evangelism as an excuse to be tempted with sin. The path of the just. And so keep thy heart with all diligence. Dr. Henry Morris IV at ICR in the August magazine, Acts and Facts. No doubt many of you, like me, have been earnestly looking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you had, say amen. Amen. He called all believers to be godly, salt, and light in the sin-darkened world. Matthew chapter 5, 13-16. But the unrest we've witnessed in recent days has only increased my longing for the Creator's return. While the promise of His second coming is assured... Perhaps today might be the day. It's far too easy for us to grow weary and discouraged while we wait for His glorious appearing. Talking about those who've lost their spiritual energy. They want to give up. They just want to sit down. They want to quit. I got my hand raised. Have you ever felt like quitting? Come on. Have you ever felt like giving up? Listen, keep your eye focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that's going to say, well done. Once again, remember what I said about this energy level of mind. Be complex. Be complex. Be. Be. For what? The book. The Bible. Be. For what? The blood of Jesus Christ. Be. For what? Born again. The new birth. Be. For what? The blessed hope of Jesus Christ. What do we need to stay fired up? What do we need to stay motivated? The be complex that I just gave you. That's what we need in doing business for the Lord. Jesus Christ is coming again. As Brother Morris said, it could be any time. We want to make sure there's nothing between our soul and the Savior. We want to make sure that we're right with God. Now somebody says, how can I have a right heart? I used to sing a chorus, if your heart keeps right, if your heart keeps right. It was a great little chorus. And uh, because of the passing of years, I don't remember the rest of the lyrics. But it kind of, it was a nice tune. You got a little smidge of it there. Okay. When the Bible says, keep thy heart, keep thy heart with all diligence. Now, I understand that the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? When we're talking about the emotions, you don't ever want to be led by your emotions. Don't ride the crest of your emotions. Your life will be like this, up and down, up and down. Let the Bible be your guide. Now, the world says, oh, let your conscience be your guide. You had all that equipment before you got saved. It is hopelessly damaged and flawed. You can't allow your conscience, you can't allow your emotions to guide you, can't let your heart in that sense. But if your heart also refers to the immaterial, non-material non part of you inside, we're talking about the soul, the spirit, that part of you, then we need to guard that where our Choices and decisions are made where we process how the truth applies to any given situation or relationship. We need to always submit it to God. Now, some people 
are just self-operative. And they say, I'm just, I'm on my own. You better watch out. You better have an accountability group. Who's your accountability group? I believe there will be at least three in your accountability group. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And you say, all right, what did Jesus say? What would He do? What is the Holy Spirit guiding me to do through His Word? What is God the Father's perfect will for me? What glorifies Him as I think about His attributes? What does this do to glorify the holiness, the righteousness of God, the goodness of God, the love of God? How does this decision, how does this choice lift up my Heavenly Father before a lost and dying world who desperately needs to know Him? A lost and dying world. Don't you know that they sit out there because they're unsaved? And don't you know they carve off this attribute and that attribute and they throw this one away and that one away until they've got nothing left but somebody that's just like and just as depraved as they are. They've got God carved down to nothing. And what this world needs to see in contrast is a group of believers who don't shave off any of the attributes of God. We recognize His holiness, His righteousness, His goodness, His love, His mercy, His light. All of that, His omniscience, His omnipotence. Think about all of His many attributes as revealed in the Word of God. Keep thy heart. Guard it with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. I have a cardiologist. And he's a really good guy, good doctor. I started out with a fellow from Thailand. I've got a guy from the Middle East now. And I have great respect for them. And I am their poster child. So we have good relationship. And I remember when I first had my heart attacks. And I remember how I had to be acclimated to a whole new life. And along the way we've learned some things. And we've determined some things in the natural realm. Which are going to enable me to live to my appointed goal of, of Moses 120 years. But uh, I say that with, a, with a, just a hint of humor, but uh, you never know. I could be up here at 120. Who knows? Jesus is coming, though. So anyway, uh, 17 years ago, I had a wake-up call, didn't I, sweetheart? We, we both had a wake-up call regarding my future. If there was going to be one, I could have very easily have gone home 17 years ago with those heart attacks, but it wasn't God's time for me to go home. And so... I began to give more attention to what's on the inside physically. And, uh, and it's been very good, and I feel like a young man, so praise the Lord. The same thing is true in our spiritual life. Now, some people who claim to be Christians, they spend all of their time and energy thinking about the outward appearance. And it is important because, you know, man looketh on the outward appearance, God looketh on the heart. And it's true, they can't, the world can't see your heart. And so we do have to reflect on the outside, honestly and, and transparently, you know, accurately, some good things from the inside. That's very true. But you can't do the opposite. You can't just dress up the outside and fool anybody. You just be fooling yourself. It's got to come from the heart. It's got to come from the inside. That's where I believe when you start talking about Christian standards, of behavior and grooming and dress code and where we go and who we're with and all those sorts of things, that has to come by the Holy Spirit from the inside. It's got to be from the heart. If it's anything else, well, we're, we're just dealing with the flesh. That's it. How many places have you been in churches where they intend, they have good intentions, and they lay standards on the people, and they do so externally? Unless it's coming from the heart, 
Guess what? They're going to go around the corner and do something they're not supposed to do. They're going to go down the road and do something they're not supposed to do. It's got to be from the heart. How many of you believe that? It's got to come from the heart. Absolutely. Preacher, you just got to preach harder on standards. You just got to preach harder on how we got to look and act and talk and where we're going to go and not go and so forth. I can preach until I am blue in the face or red in the face or purple as a, you know, whatever color of the rainbow you want. And it's not going to change you until God changes your heart. My preaching has got to be God's word driven down into the heart before there's going to be any change on the outside. Amen. All right, so it's got to start from the inside. The trouble is not on the outside. Let me just say that. I want to start right there. I want all of my body to do right. I want my feet to go the right places. I want my hands to do the right things. I want my tongue to speak the right words. But you see, book of James, I'm told, we put bits and bridles on horses. Anybody do any horseback riding? I did. My wife did. All right. And you put the bridle on the horse and the bit goes in on her tongue. And so you got the reins back here. And if you're riding, let's say, quarter horse. All right. You got those reins wrapped up in one hand. And I got my hand right next to the horn. Got this hand free. Got my feet in the stirrups. And I got that quarter horse. And he's ready to go for a quarter mile. And uh, whatever he's going to do, you're going to ride him fast or harder or have have a, a fun time, you're going to go around some barrels, or maybe you're going to, you're going to go uh, rope uh, some, some uh, calves or do something. But whatever you're going to do, uh, you've, got to, you've got to be all set because you want that horse to go where you want that horse to go. Now, if you're going one direction and the horse goes a different direction, you're going to go the original direction you were going, and the horse is going to go that direction. So you've got to be able to turn that horse and that bit on the tongue when a little pain is exerted, now you don't hurt your horse, you don't hurt that quarter horse, but you pull or you, you go this way or you go that way and the horse knows to do a hard right or a hard left, knows how to turn on a dime if you've got a well-trained horse. But you put a bit and bridle on the horse to control that horse. You know what? There is only one control and I don't have it and you don't have it to control that tongue. I'm talking about our tongue. I'm talking about how we talk. I'm talking about how we talk when we get outside of church. I'm talking about how we talk uh, with our loved ones and family and friends and cohorts and the people with. I'm talking about how we talk. And you don't have it and I don't have it. There's only one way to control that talk and that's the bit and the bridle of the Holy Ghost. Third person of the Trinity. Come on. That's it. And what comes out is what's in the heart, the Bible says. Before that person ever said the bad words or the destructive words or the demeaning words or the hurtful words, those were conjured up in their heart. Got to deal with the heart. Deal with the heart. Before those feet ever went the wrong place, in the heart you were directed the wrong place. Before those hands ever did the wrong thing, the sinful thing, why, in the heart those hands were going to be directed the wrong way. Murder does not begin when you pull the trigger. Murder begins when you hate somebody in your heart. Jesus said that. Adultery does not begin when the act is committed. Adultery begins in the heart. Come on, Jesus said it. 
That's where it starts. Somebody says something to you, and you just want to clean their clock. The sin of beating up on somebody is not committed when you connect with their jaw. The sin started in the heart. Brother Harps, who sits down here on Sunday morning, Brother Harps, in a short space of time, has gotten to know this preacher. He's an old-time preacher, like I'm an old-time preacher. He's got a few years on me. He's about, oh, he, he could be my daddy, I suppose, in terms of age difference. And uh, he knows me. He knows me. And we have talked, just like some of the rest of us have talked, during these times of unrest, we talked a little bit about the issue of racism because he is an African-American gentleman, and I am not. And that's just, you know, we're having a discussion. And I said, you know, some people think that because I am not African-American, I'm automatically a racist. And he looked at me and says, you just show me who they are. You just show me who they are. They don't know you. He puts his hand on me. They don't know you, son. They don't know you. Amen. I'm glad. He told me about a time when he was in the military and he was down in San Diego and they had to open up some housing and it was segregated housing, but they needed some spots for some African-American uh, military. And so they were going door to door and this one fella came out and spat on him and used the N-word and he balled up his fist like this. And he said, and that's when I knew I was a Christian for sure because I didn't do what I wanted to do. See? Come on now. Come on. It starts in the heart, doesn't it? There's all kinds of hate out here. The problem with people isn't what is or is not being done that is right. That which represents prejudice or discrimination. That's not it. It starts in the heart. There are people of all descriptions, of all backgrounds, who hate other people for whatever reasons. And that's wrong. Hate. Hate in the heart is wrong. That's sin. Are you listening to me? Now, it's all right to hate sin and hate the devil. Hate our own coldness, hate our own backsliding, but it's not right to hate other people, any kind of people. You say, oh, they're just wicked, terrible people. It's not right to hate them because you and I are not capable of God's pure, righteous hate. And the Bible uses the word hate. It means to love less, so I'm not going to get into that tonight. But it begins in the heart. Not when you pull the trigger. Not when you connect with their jaw. That's it. What we need to watch is not whether or not we hit somebody, but whether my heart wishes to hit somebody. Oh, I've been biting my nails and I've just been rubbing my hands. I've been just so worried about things, how it is out there. I'm just worried. About it's a sin that starts in the heart because you didn't give it to Jesus. That's it. Stealing. The sin of stealing doesn't start when you take something that doesn't belong to you. The sin of stealing begins when you want somebody else's stuff in your heart. That's wrong. When you covet it, when you desire it, when you look upon it, and you have a desire for it. Now, I want to give you tonight, one, two, three, very quickly, some ways to keep your heart with all diligence. Put this down, please. I, I found out after I had had my heart issues, that I had to do 
at least three things. The first thing is I had to decide to have the right diet. I had to decide from that point on to have the right diet. You can't do it all with meds. You absolutely cannot. I know people that, that take meds for their heart, for their cholesterol or whatever, and they are in the worst possible shape of, of anybody you've ever seen in your life because they haven't figured out uh, you know, what, what to do about the food matter. Okay, so I'm, I'm talking to you right now about having a right diet. I'm talking about a spiritual diet. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. What we take in, feed the heart, the right kind of diet. We need to be thinking on positive things. Oh, this is not so bad. This program's not so bad. This book is not so bad. The, that conversation's not so bad. Yeah, but what's good about it? What's godly about it? What's Christ honoring about it? How does it edify? How does it build you up? How does it strengthen your spiritual being, your heart? Watch what you take in. That's first. Very important. Number two, I had to decide to do some exercise. I've always been a very active person. So not only do I have to be careful about what I fill myself up with spiritually, not only do I have to fill my heart and mind with good things, but also I have to be sure to exercise. And the Bible says, And be not drunk with wine when it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And then it says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Along the way, there are some things we should be doing. I mean, we should be serving the Lord with gladness. We ought to be busy about our Father's business. He said, occupy till I come. We should be busy doing the work of the Lord. More important than anything you or I will ever do in this world, any name that we'll ever make, any position or prestige that we may ever attain, is to please the Lord and to work for Him and to do the work of the Lord. The Lord's work is most important. So it's exercise. Diet, exercise, but let me give you one more. And here it is. Attitude. Attitude. My sister has had diagnosed in her life MS, multiple sclerosis, for 30, 40 years now. Long time ago. She's now in her mid-70s. And, and she has seven different diseases in her body. And every Friday night, with two canes and her body bent over like this with her scoliosis. 75 years of age with two canes. She goes to the women's prison and ministers. It's my sis. I love her and I'm proud of her. All these years, she could have just folded her tent and sheathed her sword and said, I quit, I give up, I'm going to just lie down on the couch and fold my hands and wait for Jesus to come and take me. And a lot of people have done that, either figuratively or otherwise. But whatever your excuse or your reason, God's will is for us to stay active and we need to keep a right, godly attitude about it. Years ago, Coach then evangelist Bruce Foster. Now he was the man who coached the basketball team at Tennessee Temple University back in the days when Bobby Murr played basketball and set, I think probably at that time, the college world record for scoring. That was, that was before 
some of the others that came along, but back in the 1950s, 60s, somewhere in there, Bobby Murr set the scoring record for all time. And Coach Foster coached him, and he became, he became an evangelist. And in preaching, he said, pride, P-R-I-D-E. He said, pride is your biggest enemy. It's not whether or not you're proud. It's wherein does pride reside. And then he said, the middle letter of pride is I. And I believe, he said, it stands for ingratitude. Ingratitude. Do you know among the list of the characteristics of, of people in the last days, ungrateful, unthankful, ungrateful, unthankful. There it is. We need to have an attitude of gratitude. We need to remember that we're here by the grace of God. And for us to forget that is going to cause us to have heart problems. We need to, we need to keep our heart with all diligence. This morning, as we walked in here for Sunday school, our opening song was a song that we normally sing around, oh, late November. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. It will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Have you counted your blessings lately? God wants us to do that. We need to be living examples of gratitude. We need to be thankful to God. Be ye thankful. That is a command. Be ye thankful. Never forget it. The next time you're complaining, be ye thankful. Go look in the mirror. Next time you whine, be ye thankful. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in this message from Proverbs spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. In just a moment, we'll extend the invitation. I want you to come from where you are. If God spoke to your heart, let's have a word of prayer. Let's renew some vows. Let's, let's confess sins. Let's pray for others. Let's make sure that there's nothing between our soul and the Savior. And tonight... You know, if things have come in and have squeezed out the perfect will of God, we need to make room for the Lord to have His will and His way in our life. If tonight you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray now something like this? Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. If you prayed to receive Christ just now and meant it, would you slip your hand up, anyone at all? There was a time on earth when in the book of heaven an old account was sending for sins yet unforgiven. My name was at the top and many things below. I went unto the keeper and settled long ago, long ago, down on my knees, long ago, I settled it all. Yes, the old account was settled long ago, hallelujah, and the record's clear today, for he washed my sins away, when the old account was settled long ago. The old account was large and growing every day, for I was always sinning and never tried to pay. But when I looked ahead 
and saw such pain and woe I said that I would settle I settled long ago when at the judgment bar mm -hmm. I stand before yes. my king and he the book will open he cannot find a thing then will my heart be glad will tears of joy will flow because I had it settled and settled yes. long ago yes. long ago down on my knees long ago I settled it all Yes, the old account was settled long ago. Hallelujah, and the record's clear today, for he washed my sins away. When the old account was settled long ago. O sinner, seek the Lord, yes. repent of all your sins, yes. for thus he hath commanded, if you would enter in, and then if you should live a hundred years below, up there you'll not regret it. You settled long ago, long ago, down on my knees, long ago, I settled it all. Yes, the old account was settled long ago, hallelujah, and the record's clear today, for he washed my sins away, when the old account was settled long ago, long ago, down on my knees, long ago, I settled it all. Yes, the old account was settled long ago, Hallelujah, and the record's clear today, for he washed my sins away, when the old account was settled long ago.